you're probably a regular user of all kinds of transport, perhaps in, in your own car, or you use your bike, or you fly, or you take a train, or you combine all of these and, and other forms of transport as well. And likely, you will have several options to choose from, perhaps even more than you realize, because you're used to the one particular form of transport that you like so much. So, uh, stepping in your own car, for instance, is the first one that comes to mind for many of us. But each single transport decision that you take does have an impact on our health and on the climate, and actually on your own health as well. Let's look at the numbers in the United States. Greenhouse gas emissions from transportation account for about 29% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, making it the largest contributor of American greenhouse gas emissions. Now, in the past 30 years, the greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation sector increased more in absolute terms than in any other sector. So, to sum it up, it is already bad and it's actually gone worse and it's still growing worse. So, today we will focus on transport. Why is it important and what are the alternatives? And very much a question for today. What are your own choices? So this is very interactive today, unlike the monologues that you often hear me doing on the Saturdays and the Sundays. Today is really join in, give your own opinion, just hit that um, uh, that uh, telephone button, the call in button at uh, the bottom. So like every Monday, uh, this is the podcast on green living that I'm hosting together with Vanessa. So hi, Vanessa. Hi, hi. Nice to be here. I hope everybody is well. <laughs> as, as you said, I'm in the I'm in the in the conduit club today. So, um, which is um, for change makers and for people who are green. So, um, yeah. And I I actually got here talking of transportation. I am um, I got here by train uh, from where I live in Hertfordshire and um, battled my way into the underground, mask wearing, you know, dutifully, and then walked. So, um, I think I was quite green today. My my journey in. Um, I, you know, I have to say, I do. I'm a, I'm a big uh, train fan. I do love trains. I love I love going long distance on trains, and you know, you can sit and read and all this kind of stuff. You know, so um, yeah. Anyway, that was a long long answer to hello. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I see yeah. already comments coming in. Um, uh, Evelyn is saying that she's on the train now, so she's she's literally. Yeah, um, oh, no, walking the talk and um, I also <laughs> saw the comment from uh, Mira I think that uh, when Vanessa is not speaking she should mute herself because uh, we can hear people in the distance but I think you're already uh, doing that oh I can actually check that whether you whether you do that yes well great I, I love this app um, so uh, th that all works um, yeah so where shall we start maybe uh, maybe Ness up for you why we shouldn't drive actually well you know I mean to be fair it's probably like you just mentioned actually is is the most polluting activity um like you say that most people in um America and and the west um England as well really and and you know engaging daily um you know the emissions from driving uh, contribute significantly to global warming um obviously as well as local scale pollution um, obviously, cities emissions from driving create this, a smog, as well. Even though we can't really see it, there's actually this sort of like um, sort of cushion of of, um, of smog that flies into the air from um, from the cars and and 
bikes and, and things. Um, and obviously the condition um, is obviously it's trapped in an urban area. So obviously you can't, it doesn't go anywhere because it gets trapped behind between buildings. Um, the poor air quality as well uh, results to significant health problems as well. Um, obviously, you know, the exhaust that cars release, we've got hydrocarbons and nitrogen oxides, which, um, you know, sort of together react with sunlight to increase the ground level ozone. So, um, which isn't, doesn't make for a nice cocktail for our lungs or for anything else. And of course, that ozone um, releases, you know, the car exhaust releases the carbon monoxide, which affects our health. And obviously carbon dioxide, which contributes, like you just mentioned, Alex, you know, significantly to global warming. Warming. Um, you know, um, obviously during the hottest times of the day when the car is hot from running, um, you know, that's just when we get the, the most emissions. So, so yeah. Um, and obviously there's other harmful effects as well, isn't there? You know. <laughs> yeah, well, so. yeah, fuel production uh, creates uh, an enormous amount of emissions and and. Anytime you fill your tank with gasoline, uh, you're you're contributing to it. So, uh, if you if you consider the total average emissions produced uh, throughout the life cycle of a car, fuel production uh, accounts for about twenty uh, percent, according to the to the WRI, uh, the World Resources Institute. And um, so, it's also manufacturing a car, uh, even if it's an, an, uh, a Tesla or another uh, electric vehicle, it takes enormous amount of raw materials. Uh, it takes energy to take out these raw materials and it takes energy to make these raw materials into a car. And that car also has to be transported, often often by ship. Um, so there's, uh, even, even before you fill up your tank of your new car for the very first time, just by buying it, you have already contributed enormously uh, towards um, towards uh, fossil fuel emissions and yeah what you say about this health um, there's a study in the UK that says that the average life expectancy in uh, a city in uh, uh, it was particularly about London I think it was uh, uh, living in London your life then you have life expectancy that is two years less than if you live in the countryside and if you look worldwide, we talk about 9 million uh, people every year dying of pollution. So that is way more than uh, the people that uh, died from the pandemic. And the pandemic is only a temporary thing, whereas this, this annual pollution, it's it's only getting worse and worse. So you, it, it, is, um, it, it is a matter of health. And it's also a thing that if you, instead of uh, using a car, if you would use a bike, that is, of course, much better for your health because you, you keep moving. But also, if you use public transport, even then, just because you have to walk to a bus stop, you already, and, and afterwards, you have to walk from the bus stop to your work or whatever you're doing, you already build in a bit of more, a bit more movement and walking. Um, so that is good for you. So there's, there's already these are already two alternatives uh, cycling and and urban transport and i think for both of them uh you immediately come to the role of government and uh, especially at municipal government because you have to enable in a city um public transport and you have to make it possible for cyclists to safe um, to cycle safely and a few days ago i put a, a small video of, of of a little girl that was on a bicycle in, in in rotterdam and she was like three years old 
uh, doing a kind of race with a police car who was next to her, and these were just nice, friendly guys racing with a three-year-old. And one of the reactions that came back is like, how is it possible that she's not wearing a helmet? And then uh, some people replied to that remark, saying, well, cycling is so safe in the Netherlands that we hardly have any cycling accidents. And so I, I looked up the numbers, and it turns out that Denmark and the Netherlands that have the best cycling infrastructure in the world are also the two countries with the lowest amount of uh, cycling accidents. And that's why in both countries you never see people wearing a helmet, except for American tourists, of course, because otherwise their insurance doesn't pay them. So in in the heat of the Dutch summer, which can be it's quite hot sometimes, they are cycling around with plastic helmets on their head, which is a really sad um, sight to see. So, but it 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 proves the point that a a, a local government and probably aided by uh, the, the the national governments, they have to make it possible that you do have public transport, and they have to make it possible that people can actually cycle. And you can, of course, imagine that that is not in the interest of the fossil fuel industry. They really do their best to drive people away from public transport and their uh, bicycles and to make sure that you have to use the car for anything that you do. And you see the effect when you take an average American city and compare it to an average European city. It is designed to get you into the car. You you cannot get your groceries without getting in a car. And you even see that really poor people that are, are really socially at, at at the bottom of society by 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 their lack of income that they still have a car because if they don't have a car then then they're really at at the last tier of society whereas if you compare it in europe you have uh, bankers in the city of london that are filthy rich but they don't have a car uh, because they 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 just don't need it so it's it's a, a very different uh, societies. I think the choices that we make uh, during elections is um, uh, are 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 essential for for creating the conditions for for doing this. Absolutely, I completely agree with you there. Um, I mean, I think um, I don't. I mean, people might know this in the UK when they um, they got rid of a load of the train stations here, sort of beaching. Um, they got rid of all the small rail you know, rail stations, which, of course, you know, what that meant was that, um, you know, the people who want to get into London now or get into, get anywhere, even just pop to the local, the next town, see their families and all this kind of stuff, they have to get in the car. There's no infrastructure like you just mentioned, Alex. So, um, and then if if you're poor as well, the price of trains over here, particularly in England, is astronomical. I mean, it's it's bad enough, you know, I mean, you get, I've got a network southeast card, so because I get a third off my rail ticket, but that's if I travel after a certain time. But, you know, if you're trying to, you know, in terms of like doing business in London or just meeting a client or something, there's no, there's no, um, there's no support, if you know what I mean, from that point of view. And if you're poor, how are you supposed to afford it? How are you supposed to afford it? Um, it's, it's just unfair. It's, um, it, it's just driving a wedge deeper into, um, into society, I think. And really, we could, we've got the potential to be a, to be a leader in this space. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about trams and sort of infrastructure within, um, within, uh, 
sort of towns and cities a bit later. Um, you know, obviously we were, it was, it was over here in the Victorian period. Um, we had trams, you know, it was, it was great. So people hopped on and off, you know, this is before people, before the advent of cars everywhere, do you know, it's sort of, so the, the, it was all there. And of course, everything's been, been funded by the car manufacturing companies and by oil companies. And it's just keep funding this, this same story which we need to really, really, really need to change. Um, you know, I mean, we've also got, you know, the new roads are sort of carving up the countryside. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's getting rid of the, you know, that sort of the, this peace that we had, the, the nature, um, wildlife corridors and things. And it's just, it's just becoming ugly. It's just ugly. And, and of course, it's just, poor, it's just and of course, it, you know, the effects are spread for many miles. Um, you know, you've got the car exhaust coming off, you've got the sound, you know, the, the noise pollution as well. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, um, I mean, it's, it's radical. It's, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not good. So, um, and of course, obviously, the wars that, you know, that fought, you know, just to keep down the, <laughs> the cost of driving, you know, sort of, um, as well, you know, the oil wells that need to power um, everything. It's just, um, yeah, we just need to just change our... our our tack on this really and then you mentioned earlier i mean if we switch to electric cars you know that's that's a, that is a solution i don't think it is the solution because like you say we've got to manufacture it and where are we going to get the lithium from where are we going to get all the you know yeah. because that's going to poison rivers and um you know it depletes the ground groundwater um no, apparently it, it actually reduced it already depleting groundwater from Tibet and Bolivia. I mean, that's just two random places. I mean, you know, let alone wherever else. Um, so, you know, it's just a huge, vast expenditure on energy and, and space, really. Um, and of course, you need tyres as well and all the electrical wires. And it's just, it's so much. It's, it's such a very, 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 very complex um, kind of system here, really. Um, yeah, so we just need, we need to change, really, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. I see a lot of comments coming in. Um, there's, there's like a few discussions taking place. One is uh, between two of our Swiss listeners where the one says that helmets are obligatory and, um, and the other listener says they are not. Um, I don't know. I cannot give you an answer. I'm not Swiss. I don't know the rules in all kinds of countries. And um, I see the comments from um, uh, Sharon uh, Boyd uh, from Arizona, who says, I'm in rural Arizona with fast open spaces and I have no other choice but my car. And she doesn't even mention the temperatures in Arizona. I remember last time I was there, it was in May and it felt like a, a heat wave in August in the Netherlands and then still a moderate one uh, compared to Dutch terms. So uh, cycling would have been quite a challenge there. Um, and she says, I opt to work from home and I plan my trips, which is which is good because combining on one trip several things that you have to do also saves, uh, saves gas, of course. And she would love uh, public transport. Yes, I hear a lot of Americans uh, say that. And then I see the comment from B, who is on the other side of the planet in Sydney. And he says, I'm fortunate to live in a city where so many uh, with so many transport options and yes i've been in sydney a few times and gosh i love that city it's one of my favorite cities in the world and it does have good transport options and um, he says uh, i have a pretty handy access to light rail i think you even have if i remember correctly close to the harbor uh, you still have this old mono rail from from a couple of decades ago which was fun to use when i went to my meetings um, and access to light rail, to bus and train, and elsewhere in the city, there's also the ferry, which is lovely to take. I took that one too. And bike lanes. I understand that this isn't the case for cities that lack uh, infrastructure funding, particularly in the U.S. 
less and we're also having issues with transport costs going up with sectors being privatized i hear the name morrison on the background here and our government is also determined not uh, to legalize electric scooters no because it doesn't burn coal and it doesn't please your prime minister i would say um but yeah, the monorail is gone. I saw that. Yeah, B, if you want to join, just just uh, press the press press the button. I would I would love to hear how you experience um, uh, traveling in uh, in beautiful Sydney. Uh, so you're most welcome uh, to join. Maybe it's very late in the evening for you already. I'm not sure um, about the time zone that you are in. It's here early in the morning in uh, in Ottawa. And also for the others, whomever wants to join, please do. Um, so yeah, back back off to uh, what you just said on electric vehicles. I also think that um, one of the things is yes, electricity is nice, uh, but only uh, or mostly, I should say, when it comes from renewable sources. So if you first have a windmill or a solar panel that then charges your car, that is of course ideal. But a lot of the um, electric charging uh, on uh, of, of vehicles uh, takes place with energy that was produced by <clears throat> burning fossil fuels. Now that is not the worst thing because uh, that electricity is produced much more efficiently, which you can imagine, of course, if you have a uh, a a plant that produces electricity that is, of course, more efficient than um, a, um, uh, a, a, um, a, a, a an, an engine in a car that is also producing um, producing the power but has to be so small that you can drive it around in a car so it's it's an inefficient way of producing energy if you if you work in bulk you're more efficient so even if it's fossil fuels that are being electrified and then put into a car at a central spot it's still better than uh, than having a a fossil fuel engine in your car um but at the end of the day we should of course electrify everything and now what is happening in the world with the war in ukraine uh taking place i i think we will see uh really a boost of renewable energy it doesn't mean that that is the f uh the first choice in the very short term because now we have such a lack of reliable access to power that Basically, Europe has to, to 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 grab whatever they can. There's even even talk of of opening some coal mines again, um, but in in the medium term, uh, the investment will be very much in fossil fuel in um, in renewable energy. Also, because it has become so much more efficient, especially uh, uh, solar energy, but also also wind energy as well. So it's. Um, if if something good comes out of this horrible war, it is a wake-up call that we should no longer be dependent on fossil fuels from countries that have regimes that are completely unreliable. We we should have learned our lesson in the 1970s, but we didn't, uh, except for Denmark. That was the only one that took the right conclusion and said we need energy independence. They didn't say we need renewable energy. They said we need energy independence. And then... Denmark followed quite a few routes. Uh, they have they've tried different things. They have tried nuclear. They have tried to produce their own uh, fossil fuels. And at a certain moment, they just found that uh, investing massively in wind energy 
was uh, was the best and the most efficient way with the added um, uh, bonus that they became a worldwide leader in wind energy and now have the the knowledge and the technology that they can really export worldwide um that is the same thing here if you don't innovate quickly enough if you if you keep relying on the old system that is normally bad for 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 your development i mean otherwise we would still all be 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 hooked on steam machines instead of uh, on on all kinds of other ways of uh, of 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 powering our our economy absolutely yeah i just my fear is that we're going to go back to nuclear or go back we just, we're going to just start doing that and i just think it's just wrong i just don't i mean you know it's got a half life of like what 10,000 years or something when is that a good when is this when is this a good idea you know um you know and they're already they sort of burying it deep in the ground oh well it's not you know it's it's not going to happen to me in my lifetime so it's actually fine i just don't think that's that's I just it's just mad it's just madness i just can't see and it's it's a it's a security risk and everything um i i'm with you on the wind power i think it's it's great um it, i mean I, I was driving um the other day and it was just and there was this whole um bunch of windmills that were just well wind we you know wind turbines that were on the and they were so elegant and beautiful and and i i don't know some people don't like them but i i think if they're placed in the right right location um they can be absolutely things of beauty as well you know for an aesthetic point of view as well as actually driving energy i, I think um you know we, we could have a different mindset about them um completely um and also as i was saying to you before we um started recording it was by the sea yesterday um i was absolutely it was a lovely bright sunny day and it was wonderful but i i sort of laid back on the sand and i i just listened to the incessant waves coming in and i was just thinking why i know where we are you know um harnessing the energy of the sea but surely more could be done with that even if you know there's something that you know just say for instance we go to the beach there's something that we could you know a small portable thing that we could sort of stick in the water and, and use that gen- water generation while we're there i mean you know there's, there's always innovation that probably is being done somewhere but um it'd be lovely to see that kind of go mainstream really you know yeah. um yeah i was going to there is actually an, an installation in the UK, and I've I've seen it on videos. Which is, um, how do I how do I say this? So you have something floating on the water, and then imagine that you you put your arm on it, and then your arm goes up and down with the waves, right? If if you imagine that, well, th- there's a machine that is doing that. So you have like a whole row of these <clears throat> floating, let's say, balls on the water, and then there's a, a mechanical arm on it, and this, this movement of the arm is then uh, changed into uh, into energy. But y- you can imagine how much energy the ocean has, because um, just try to imagine how much power it would take us to move up the sea for a few meters for six hours and then dropping all of that again and then then do the whole thing again. I mean, it will be an absolute... If you propose to do that, you know, there will be a, a riot in Parliament. What an absolute waste of huge amounts of energy. So that same amount of energy is basically just the, the moon pooling on our water in the ocean. So that enormous amount of energy, yes, that, that we, we we should be able to, to harvest more of that, especially at some places... Um, like for instance, on on both sides of 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 uh, the channel, 
So let's say in, in, in uh, close to Dover, or especially if you would have an estuary there, but especially on the French side, you have these places near near La Rochelle and so where uh, where there's an enormous tide difference. And yeah, there should be uh, that should be able to be to be harvested. And there 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 I I think that has much more potential. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Absolutely, and also we should we should be starting to look at you know alternative. We're talking about alternative modes of transport. But what about but boats? You know, I had a canal boat. I think I've mentioned before, but you know, there's we you know, and I was kissing it out. It was part of a green magazine TV show that I was was had with them. Anyway, but we had um, we put solar panels on the roof, and it was all natural materials inside. And you really do realise, you know, how much you can do on your own if you have that mindset. You know, and you're a bit bonkers <laughs> i suppose that does help because you kind of you you work around things you kind of i suppose that's where the innovation comes from but um you know i was, was just going to just going to go back on like the sort of driving habits you know i mean i think i think um i mean i don't i don't know what you feel about this i'm quite antisocial. <laughs> i think fundamentally so i've i've tried the carpooling thing and it doesn't it just doesn't really work for me because I, I like my silence and I like my peace, which is why I like train journeys and I like the anonymity of, of sitting on a train or on a bus or on a tram. Um, obviously with face mask at the moment. Um, but I just love the fact that I can sit there and work and, and think without being hassled and having to have that exhausting maybe I'm on the spectrum it could be that but that exhausting conversation um until you get to where you are so I don't know if I, how other people what other people feel about carpooling um but um yeah I think is Evelyn gonna join us as you if you've I got see, a comment I see Evelyn coming in let me see take next caller hi Evelyn you're in the train you said hi. you wrote no I just got home <laughs> it was a train a train and a bus and I'm home Okay, um, so you gave the good example for today. Well, yeah, I don't have a car and I can't really get to burn any other way unless I want to ride my bike for like, I don't know, 50 miles. That's a bit much. Can you speak yeah. a bit closer to the mic, by the way? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? Okay. Um, Vanessa, if you're on the spectrum, I'm on the same spectrum. I couldn't, I could not carpool. And I love a train journey. I love a long train journey. It's perfect. I can read. I can listen to podcasts. I can call in. And, you know, it's, it's just great. I, I also do some, um, you know, crossword puzzles and stuff like that. So that's, I love it for that. And obviously Switzerland is perfect for public transport almost anywhere maybe there's some places where it's not as great but here it's really good um and i just wanted to say something about helmets i know alex and i are not going to agree on this ever i don't think but um i don't wear a helmet because i'm scared that anybody might hit me or anything like that but the only two times i fell on my bike was down a steep hill and it was icy and a helmet pretty much saved my life. I even I had a concussion even with a helmet. So I don't want to say that that couldn't happen in um, Denmark or the Netherlands, but it's kind of flat and I go up and down pretty steep hills. So it's just a safety issue for myself and not because I'm scared of 
being hit by a car or something like that. Yeah, I so. think that's that's very <laughs> wise. I think in Switzerland I might uh, consider wearing a helmet, but we okay. don't, we, don't, we don't have hills nor do we have ice. <laughs> I know. No, I was just going to say. I mean, the situation might be different or is different. I've ridden my bike in in um, Denmark for sure, and you know you don't go as fast and you pretty much sit up straight. I think it's similar in the Netherlands. So, you know, it's kind of a different different cycling culture. When I go biking, it's pretty I go pretty fast, so it's it's more it's more that. But I do agree that we should, and I think Mira said something about um bikes in Geneva. I think our cities are a nightmare for biking. I mean, where I live, it's pretty good because it's small. It's pretty small. But I mean, Zurich, Geneva, Lucerne, all those places, I, I don't think I would want to ride my bike. But then you have trams and buses and all that, so that makes it better, I guess. Yeah, true. I would in Geneva not take a bike, but in Geneva you have this amazing um, uh, tram that's, that goes through the city now that they built about 20 years ago. I remember them putting it into the ground. It took them years, but when it was finally working... It is amazing. So if you book a hotel room in Geneva, you get a free ticket for as long as you've booked your hotel room. You have a ticket that you have just free public transportation in the city, which I think is an amazing initiative. I don't know any city in the world that is doing that. And it's 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 a fantastic promotion of Geneva because Geneva is always trying to get more uh, UN and other international organizations to the town. And then there are always competing against other cities that might be interested in it as well. And I think it's a, a strong uh, selling point as a well-organized city that you just, any guest of the city and a guest defined as somebody that sleeps in a hotel room has free access to all public transportation. I think that's that's just, that's amazing. Or for instance, if you, even if you don't have a hotel room, if you just arrive at the train station in um, in Geneva, and uh, so you, uh, no, I mean, if you arrive at the airport and you want to go to the central train station, uh, that transport is for free as well in some kind of impossible way uh, to understand because you first have to find the machine that gives you a free ticket. And that one is hidden. So, but, but once you have discovered that machine and you don't take the other machine where you have to put in your money that I did for many years, then you find out that you can actually drive for free towards the city. So... Uh, oh it's nearly gosh, perfect. That's so typical. Sorry, but sorry, I am laughing. <laughs> but that's typical. I didn't even know. I didn't know that. But I have a train pass, so I don't. I don't have to buy a ticket like ever, unless I want to go on like one of the special mountain trains. And if I can just add that, um, you know, the cost of public transport. I know that prices in the UK are kind of insane. You sometimes you pay less for a return ticket than a single ticket and there's peak tickets and I, I was like I was so confused but what I have here is like I have a train pass that's like good for a year and it's around um, I have it written down somewhere around like four thousand um, dollars for a year and I can go pretty much anywhere on any trams buses even some of the some of the boats on the river on the rivers, on the rivers too, but on on the lakes, 
And I even have a train pass for my bike that's like um, $250. So I can take my bike on trains and stuff like that, which I think it's a pretty good deal. I know people complain about the pricing, but I think it's a pretty good deal. And I never have to worry about uh, tickets. That's fantastic. It sounds really good. I need to move to Switzerland. <laughs> I've decided. <laughs> I was saying the um, the travel card that we get here in, in in London. If you're in central London, it's really good because you can go all over. You can use the the um, water, you know, the boat service uh, as well as the underground and the buses and everything else. So actually, it's it's really good from that point of view. But it just um, yeah, if you're just coming outside of London to get into London, you know, you're gonna it just it pushes you to use car because you think well although obviously at the moment with all the energy rising you know the, the cost of your fuel over here at the moment is just going crazy so i suppose things will change um but whether it will change quick enough and where the infrastructure isn't in actually for a start so um either way we're just going to get clobbered on on cost so um yeah i don't really know what the what the solution is there's no short-term solution so yeah i think the uk has a bit of a challenge i mean there's quite a few things there one is that the um, uh, the infrastructure is absolutely ancient by now. Uh, it is. I mean, you still have trains that if you want to get out, you have to open the window and then stick your hands out and then open it from the outside to be able to open the door. And this is just one example. But and they're shaking so much that you can't work on your laptop because it's impossible to hit the right key. And um, I, I think another thing is that in the in the Thatcher years, in the in the, the early 1980s, when she was privatizing public transport that is that is just an absolute nightmare because what happened was that um, it was split up into all kinds of smaller companies and then you got what was called the fat cats and a fat cat is somebody that buys a railway line then stops investing into security into uh, new elements that 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 you need to keep the thing running so you don't do any maintenance so in the first three years, of course, that works. So the profits go through the roof, meaning that most of that goes to the bonuses into the pockets of this new owner. And then the owner has a successful uh, profit-making business because he can show that they earn so much money by just doing not doing anything maintenance, then sells the whole thing after like three years and goes to live in Monaco and ultimately, what uh, what what the users of the public transport get is a a a terrible rundown system that is that is dirty, that is not safe, and that is because it's split up over so many companies. Uh, the the timetables are also not connected, so you have you have horrible waiting time. So. Um, I, I know that you're from the UK, Ness, and I, I I don't want to don't want to pick on your country here, but. Um, from all of Western Europe, public transport in the, in the UK is by far the worst uh, that I know. And I, I think many vis visitors don't realize because they like the tube in London, which is functioning relatively well, although uh, apart from, from uh, maybe uh, the Victoria line and, um, and the other uh, uh, newer line that you have, uh, most of it is pretty old, but that's functioning reasonably well. But for the rest of the UK, I've lived there. I was just shocked how bad it was. Did I say anything wrong here? Then, then just, then just hit me if I said bad things about your country. 
<laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Exactly. Um, you know, where I live is a really convenient train line in and it's a very late train and it's, it's really good. And, but I chose to move here. I chose to move where I, where I, where I live because of that, because, because I lived in Manchester before. And when I finished a job, obviously I run a media company. So when I finished a job, I had to dash and, and miss like the after party or whatever it might have been. Or just even just, just saying goodbye. You know, I'd often like be like Cinderella and just like run to get the last train to head up back up to Manchester. Um, whereas where I'm, where I'm now, it's just brilliant. It's really fantastic. Although having, I'm, I'm saying about this fast train to Manchester, I actually don't, I disagree with the HS2 thing. So, but that's because they're tearing up ancient woodland and the whole, that's just a disaster. You know, what they could be doing is, is re, redoing the, the smaller lines. As I, as I, as I was saying earlier, I do, I, that is a big drum that I, I kind of, I, I'm always banging really that we should be reopening the smaller stations and the smaller villages and towns to improve that connectivity especially people are working from home after you know this whole covid thing which has proven that people are being able to work from home so you can you don't have to get get on work in central london or central manchester or central cities you can work from home and just go in once or twice a week or whatever or do your collaboration and do your you know that sort of hybrid type of working um but if, if people are working more remotely, um, then you'd want to, you know, connect with that local community and, and maybe hop to the next town or village to get your shopping and, and things. Um, I mean, we mentioned about, you know, you need a car. You, just somebody mentioned about being in Arizona and you need a car to get shopping. You need a car to go anywhere because there's no infrastructure. Right? Like say it's too hot to use a bicycle or whatever else it is. Um, but, you know, that's all these, all these things are, are doable. Um, if, yeah, and, and to say, so just to go back, so I was, went off on a bit of a tangent in my brain there and I'm just coming back again. <laughs> um, but if, if, um, we, you know, I mentioned before about high streets, if, um, high streets of villages and, you know, were, were, um, properly balanced. So you have, you know, sustainable groceries and, um, all that side of things so you can people can go and um and local produce as well rather than having to be forced to go to the supermarket and having to drive anywhere um you know it's it's the the successful smaller villages and towns where they do have that um you know even sort of local places in london i mean where i am in my my market town we do have that we have great farm farm um farmers markets and you know so there is that and you get the great community feel as well um, there's a farm that we can cycle to, you know, or so yeah. There's 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 lots of um, lots of opportunity and, and options. Yeah. I think if if um, yeah. if if we got our act together in the UK, I think. So, yeah, and I also think time. what you just say about closing down those smaller stations. I mean, that is typically what you see when something that should be driven by the government, when that is privatized, that is of course what's going to happen because uh, business doesn't care for minorities a minority being somebody living in a small station business goes for for the big 80 percent and just drops the, the small 20 percent because that costs them relatively more money i mean the same with healthcare that you know if you if you have something relatively simple uh, they can take care of you but if you have some kind of exotic horrible disease with expensive medicine a privatized system is just not going to pay for it because they they don't like the thing and that's that's why uh, why business should uh, keep their hands out of uh, those things that that should be done by the government or at least it should be maybe it's even better that you have uh, a bit of a bit of a mixed thing that there are some business elements in there that make it more efficient 
but that you take really good care that uh, it's not only the profits that are driving the thing because ultimately what you're talking about is a service to the people um, and it's not a service to to the businessman that uh, that should get uh, rich i was thinking of another subject uh, another direction uh, to discuss um, which is about um, driving habits um, uh, <laughs> because if you must drive all of us uh, own a car and, and 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 have to drive and i have a car too by the way um, is uh, you can change the way that you use your car that at least you create less emissions. So uh, an easy one is to carpool with other people um, because still, as I, as I said in, in one of the previous um, uh, podcasts that we had, you know, a, a car weights um, 800 kilos if you have a, a light one and you yourself may weight 80 kilos. So it's a factor one on 10 uh that uh and and for quite a few listeners probably even 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 much smaller than one on ten but roughly you talk about a, a one on ten um uh, ratio so that that means that 90 percent or more of what you are moving doesn't have to be moved the car doesn't have to go somewhere you have to go somewhere so it's 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 a highly inefficient way of um, of of driving somewhere because you're transporting 90% that doesn't need to be transported. So if you carpool and you're there with two people of 80 kilos in a car of 800, 880 by that time, you're uh, you're at a much better uh, better ratio, especially if you put four people in it or if you just take a bus because in a bus you can sit with what is it 40 people um, in just one admittedly bigger car. Uh, which is, of course, way more uh, efficient. And so you can ride with your co-workers or uh, find some people that need to carpool in a, in a nearby location. There's all kinds of websites uh, that, uh, that, that, that where you can share this, this information. And um, it's also uh, another thing, talking about the weight of your car, uh, don't put too much load in your car that you're never using because you are you're moving stuff that doesn't need to be moved so the more heavy that you make your car the more useless uh, 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 weight that you are that you're transporting so just be be yeah use common sense uh, plan your errands well um, and um, uh, use your car more efficiency and um, so the, the these are advisors of the EPA I see Sharon coming in Sharon whom I mentioned uh, just a bit earlier as living in Arizona and being uh, having no alternative than using our car. Hi, Sharon. Thanks for, for joining. You have to unmute yourself. There's this button, I think it's bottom right, where you have to to click on. It, it looks like a telephone that you're calling in on the call in. There you are. Hi, Sharon. Hello. Um, I just want to make one point. Um, in Arizona, we not are we are not only obsessed with our cars, we're angry when we drive them. I'm not in particular, but we are use <laughs> we have high road we have high road rage here, and um, the largest metro center city for me is Phoenix, Arizona, and you have to get on the I-10. And it's literally like, you know, you're in the Mad Max movie um, and we have people cutting each other off. We have road rage incidents and these just aren't 
<clears throat> few and far between. And so it's another, I think, um, lesson for us that this is not making us happy to, to be driving like this and to be angry in our cars. So I really try to stay off of, uh, you know, the major freeways. But um, thank you for this. That's all I have to say. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. And uh, the, the, the sad fact is also that road rage in America is often combined with the absurd amount of guns that are in society. Uh, so I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was in Los Angeles, there was kind of a wave of people uh, who um, who were just shooting each other because somebody drove in a way that somebody didn't like, uh, which makes driving a, a very, very deadly, uh, deadly habit. Um, I must say my experience of driving in uh, in places like uh, like Utah and Arizona is that you have, but I avoid cities, uh, is that you have so much space on these wide roads and you're not allowed to drive as fast as you can in Europe. So I, I always find it very relaxing to drive in America. But yeah, I stay away from, from uh, downtown Phoenix and, uh, and other places. And uh, um, it's... Um, uh, I, I have been in downtown Tucson, uh, but uh, Phoenix I only uh, remember as uh, a beautiful hotel which was a bit outside of the city. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So uh, a lot of people are not relaxed in their car. I am most relaxed when I'm in a train because I love to see the, the landscape just, just, just passing by my window and I have no responsibility at all. Somebody else is, is running that train. And I can just enjoy it. And I think in in cities, you often see it when you're waiting for a traffic light and then you see in the car next to you, you see this young guy who's then looking at you. And then as soon as it's, it's, it goes on green, he's just hitting the gas. So it's kind of that he's creating a kind of race with me and wants to go faster. And, and I'm completely immune to this kind of behavior. Um, but it, it seems that a lot of people feel this competition. So you can imagine that if you have two of those guys that don't know each other standing next to each other um, uh, before a traffic light, that they just forget about everything in the world and that their only only aim in life for the next minute is to drive faster than the other person, which is an absolute waste of fossil fuels and sometimes an absolute waste of lives as well because if a child is crossing the road a bit further down the road, that is not... Uh, in their small brains uh, to uh, to take that into account as well because they only focus on winning from the unknown guy that is next to them. So road rage is for me a difficult phenomenon to understand, but I, I do see that it's there and it, it actually it, it, it does kill people uh, directly and indirectly. So yeah, that's uh, that's horrible. So yeah, these were some um, some some good points. What what else do we have, Ness, on on driving habits? I think well, a lot more there. Thanks yeah, for. yeah. Um, thanks, Sharon. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, there's loads of things you can do. I mean, obviously, um, if if you aren't near a station and you can't can't get to the train by walking or by your bicycle, you're going to have to use your car to go places, or like you know, Sharon has to use it to get shopping. But there's different things that you can do to help reduce the impact of your car on the environment. So, one of the things is to you know keep your car in a good condition. Um, everything from like keeping your tire pressure you know, pumped up, you know, your tires pumped up nicely, you know, regularly service it as well, just to make sure everything's okay. Keep an eye on your fuel consumption. 
as well. Um, I mean, I, I love cars, to be honest. I think, you know, it's this kind of, I, I love, I, I love design. I like, I like going fast. I like all that sort of stuff, you know, so it's, it's all, it's all wrestling with my conscience, you know, the sort of the, the cars and driving. So it's, I'm probably a good person to talk about this really. But um, if you've got a roof rack on your roof, that obviously increases drag so that you use more fuel. So if you don't need your roof rack, you know, get that off. Or if you've got one of those little plastic things that look like helmets on top of your car. So, <laughs> um, you know, get that off as well. Um, you know, um, obviously some of them are supposed to be aerodynamic. Um, you know, the cars are supposed to be aerodynamic. So the, the more things that you've got stuck on the side of your car, like your even your bicycle rack, you know, if you've not got your bicycles on the back of your car, take that off. Um, I mean, it's those sort of things, I suppose, if you start looking at it, it makes sense. But um, just, you know, just make a little tick list and, and sort of put it next to your fridge or something before you go out and just do it. Um, you mentioned about extra weight as well. You know, I mean, obviously, if you've got more people in it, then that's a good thing. <laughs> but if you're, it's just you in the car and um, and you've got a load of rubbish in the boots, you know, everything from your walking boots to um, just, just random stuff, you know, things you might be taking to a charity shop or you just, you know, just got it in there just because there's no room in your house, for instance. Don't you know, get rid of it quickly because um, obviously the more weight that you've got in there in- increases the fuel as well. And obviously fuel is caught, you know, it, it puts more money, it puts more, um, it takes money out of your pocket and obviously um, puts an increase on the uh, on our environment. Um, and air conditioning as well. I, I don't like air conditioning. And I've I always had plastic cars for like for many years. And so my air conditioning was always opening the window. <laughs> And that's still still my thing, even in the home, even in the home, actually, to be fair, when it's when it's hot, I open the window rather than um, turn on the air con or the fan. So less electricity, less electricity consumption. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's all different sort of um, electrical devices that you kind of plug into your car as well. I mean, all these things increase fuel consumption. Everything, you know, sort of your engine is working harder if it's going to produce more electricity. Um, You know, there's so many things. And. And, and driving smoothly as well. I mean, just, you know, sort of you keep, you know, braking and accelerating and braking and accelerating. That's going to take more energy as well. And obviously wears your car out faster, obviously, obviously apart from making you feel ill. <laughs> um, but, um, and yeah, don't, don't keep your engine money. That's something that drives me. That's about road rage. That drives me absolutely bonkers when I see people, you know, just waiting um, and they've got the engine running. Um and you know, probably just to keep the end, keep them warm, or to put the um, radio on, or something like that. But it's like turn the engine off. I do give people dirty looks. I kind of, I haven't got to that age yet where I start tapping on windows and going, "Oi, turn your window, you know, turn, turn your car off." <laughs> I think it's coming though. I think I'm getting to that point. You know, um, yeah. I mean, sort of drive, drive more slowly. Um, you know, obviously, the faster you drive, the more fuel you'll use. Um, Obviously, the the higher the gear that you can get. So if you can, if you've got five five gear, five gears in your car, go up to five as quickly as you can. Don't sort of stick it, keep it in one or two. Um, automatic cars are quite good for that sort of thing um, as well. You know, sort of combining combining yeah, journeys yeah. and things. So it's funny what you say about uh, what you say about uh, stopping and pulling up again. Mm. One of the things I noticed here in uh, I noticed it before in America, but certainly now when when living in Ottawa is that crossroads are designed so differently than in Europe. In Europe is just you, you you slow down a little bit so you can oversee everything and you keep driving. But here you have to make a complete stop. So when when I uh when I drive just a, a, a short uh, a short stretch here, I have to stop like every 
100, 200 meters, have to make a complete stop and just imagine the amount of energy you need to, to have a car of, what is it, 800 or 1,000 kilos to get it from complete standstill all the way to moving. And all the cars in the whole country, in the whole North, European, North, North American continent, are constantly stopping, even at points where you can see from, from miles ahead that there's no other car anywhere near. So, yeah, of course, it's overly safe, but it's an absolute waste of, of energy. And you can imagine <clears throat> that um, since North America is where the oil industry had so much impact on any decision related to transport, that they say, oh, yes, go for it, you know, we, we make them stop at every crossroad, even if it's completely unnecessary, because they will burn more fossil fuels. And and I've just, with each of these stop lines, why do they, why do they ask me to stop here? Because it's, it's just, it's absolutely, there's, there's no reason to do so otherwise than to burn more more fossil fuels. I think we've arranged it so much better in uh, in, in Europe in that sense. Uh, by the way, if there are still Americans listening to what, what I'm what I have to say in these podcasts, I admire you because I say so many negative things about America. I'll I'll do maybe I should do one full hour podcast on what is good in America. Well, let's say half an hour podcast. But what is what is good in America? Um, so sorry if I was a bit too critical. What else do we have with um, with with better driving? Yeah, I was just going on your thing about the stoplights and, you know, making you stop. I think this is where I'm really fascinated about clean tech, clean technology and sort of Internet of Things, you know, how you can how you can put, monitor, you know, um, cameras and sort of just monitor um, things, you know, traffic at, uh, at a stoplight, say. And if there's no if there's no cars coming the other way, then to, you know, to allow that free passage, which will prevent that extra pollution and stuff so um yeah so it's another thing that i'm i'm really quite interested in and i think um there's there's a lot more that could be done with that to be honest you know and also monitors you know part of these you know street lights and the, and, the, and the traffic lights they also monitor air pollution as well at the same time so this sort of iot this internet of things is really really um really really fascinating how we can use that to help improve the environment um you know working working together with with, with technology so um but um yeah i mean sort of first going back to the cars or what we can do you can combine your journeys you know doing several chores at once i suppose really and um you know sort of, sort of maximize every time you get in the car um there are lots of different websites like for instance the environmental transport association uh, provides more green tips you know don't use your car for short journeys um which is always a hard one isn't it you know if you sort of if you kind of re if it's raining that's that's you know if you're in a colder climate that's where i struggle you know it's like it's raining it's cold it's windy and you're kind of going oh i just want to i just need to just kind of pick up some milk or just need to and you think actually no 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 um it's your conscience you know you think no i need to get out i need to walk i need to increase my steps for a start so just it's once you start these habits, um, then it, it makes it easier for a lifestyle change, really. Um, I mean, I, I've read that 72% of journeys are under five miles. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy, really. That's crazy. Um, yeah. You know, 50% under two miles. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. you know. Yeah. so, um, yeah. Is coming in from, from, from Sydney. would love to hear what, what B can bring in. So, hi, B, can you unmute yourself? Yeah, hi there. Hi, can you hear me? thanks for joining. 
No, no problem. Um, it's 2 a.m. here, so I may, oh I may sound a little tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's 12 o'clock here. It's noon. Yeah. I sort of just wanted to touch on, um, not to sort of steer the conversation back or in a different direction, but um, what governments can do to sort of incentivize people switching from cars to public transport. Um, I mean, Sydney's been pretty determined to make driving into the city where my, most people work a completely terrible experience. <laughs> so they've introduced, so most people who live out, out west, so west of the city that need to drive in to work, um, you, you, you sort of need to cross the bridge, the harbour bridge, and there's some, there's like super expensive tolls and stuff that the government has introduced to sort of discourage people from driving into work, for example. Um, the main strip of like uh, George Street, which is a quite a popular street in the city recently just underwent a complete transformation uh, where they stripped out um, the ability for cars to even drive through at all and replaced it in favor, like with a tram. Um, and then also I heard, and somebody correct me if this is wrong, that in America, like pretty much every second road strip, there's like a parking lot and we don't have that at all here. There's very, very rarely any, you know, good parking options. <laughs> um, and the ones that there are, are super expensive, um, which I think just plays into, again, that discouraging of people wanting to drive in in the first place. Um, one interesting thing is, I think um, Vanessa touched on this, is that the quality of the public transport is quite important as well. Um, I mean, right now, um, and particularly when COVID hit, but we've been experiencing quite a lot of um, public transport strikes. So if that reliability isn't there, it's quite difficult for somebody to be able to make that choice. Um, and so right now, we're, our bus drivers and train drivers are actually having this massive strike uh, um, with the unions sort of demanding equal pay uh, because people are getting doing the same job basically but earning different pay rates depending on where they are or who they report to what companies own which you know private sectors um so as a response to that they've just this is just yesterday but they've made it um free to travel across all of sydney's public transport network for 12 days <laughs> until they can sort of sort that out um but I, i'd be interested to hear and what more sort of ideas you may have around how to you know, better incentivize public um, the the opt-in for public transport as opposed to driving. I'm too terrified to drive, and like you said, the road rage. I'm way too sensitive for that, and also I can't park, so I'm doing a public service. I think by staying off the roads. <laughs> you're you're one of these these people trying five times to to park backwards into a space, right? Oh, I'm I'm terrible. I got my license, and then I said, okay, yeah, that's it for me. I haven't driven in like a decade, so <laughs> <laughs> it took me years to to work out to do that the best way, and uh, there's all kinds of tricks and uh, and videos um, how to. Do all that and uh, no but thanks for all this um, what I remember from uh, my uh, first visit to Sydney was that I uh, I was hanging out in the city for a while and then I I rented a car and for the first time really went into Australia and, and left Sydney and I thought I was really in the heart of, of, of the city and I thought oh gosh it's just going to be a nightmare to get out of here and then the the car rental company said, no, no, you just take a first left and then you dive into some kind of tunnel and that tunnel leads you all the way out of town. And I thought that was amazing. So it was, it's difficult to get in, but once you're in, you can just get into this this secret uh, tunnel and you can just, just get out. So 
that is yeah yeah there. that's and right I also remember george street by the way this 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 uh this north south uh north south very central street so it's it's wonderful that that is now um yeah uh, free of cars we, we also have very poor plan like it sydney wasn't very well planned so a lot of the the roads themselves are not a great experience to traverse <laughs> like at least in the city um yeah so that's another thing i i suppose um yeah yeah and it's um i well, i think you mentioned good word because if if i look at at the netherlands i mean the country i know best and 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 i studied urban geography in the netherlands so i always always have an eye for these kind of things but i i look also through let's say a dutch lens towards these things i i've just seen what we have changed in the netherlands because if you see pictures of the netherlands in in the 1970s and i wish that we would have a picture sharing device on on call in then then you can you can show each other things but if you take pictures from a street in the netherlands from the archives in the 1970s and you would take a picture of exactly the same street now it is just amazing how much has changed because when i grew up all the inner cities in the Netherlands that were, of course, created in the Middle Ages before anybody had thought of, of, of something uh, like a car, um, they were completely clogged with traffic. And it was dirty and it was bad for our health and it was, there was constantly the sound of cars and it was dangerous and it was, it was terrible. And if you now look at cities, it is just um, you're discouraged to go in by car. So what a lot of people do is you you park outside of the city and they take public transport into the city. We have huge areas where you can only walk or areas where uh, cars are only allowed in until 11 in the morning and only to deliver uh food and 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 the goods for the for the shops for instance uh and then the rest of the day it's just car free so you only see bicycles you see public transport you see pedestrians uh, but you you don't see any cars and i i think cities in denmark and the netherlands are are just exemplary for for what is possible and of course not everything is possible everywhere so we we discussed the heat in arizona um that is so bad and it's actually going to get worse because of of the the the, the climate change effects um that you can't expect to to people to to cycle through it um but in in a lot of places there's just so much that that can be gained and it has to do with uh, a strong municipality that is that that knows where it really wants to go to to make a city livable a city is not for the business a city is is made for the people so that you give the city back to the people and that is there's there's so much possible in 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 that field and i think what municipalities should do all over the world is to to look at other cities how they have done it and uh it doesn't only have to be that let's say cities in the western world look to other cities somewhere else in the western world i think there's also a lot to learn uh, from all kinds of other cities um, how in in uh, a country like rwanda uh, is uh, able to have uh, streets that are far cleaner than uh, than we have them in um, in europe 
or a city like Singapore, which, well, you might call that Western world, but it's not it's not Western Europe or America, how, how Singapore is organizing their city. Or take an average city in a country like whatever, Indonesia or the Philippines or something, which are often dirty and busy and polluted, etc. But if you look at the cars, all of them are full with people. There's hardly anybody just driving alone in their car. So, uh, or um, take uh, a city like Almaty in Kazakhstan, where basically any car, any private car, is a taxi. So if you want to go somewhere in Almaty, you just raise your hand on the street and you can be 80, 90 percent sure that the very first car that passes you will stop and let you on board you can drive with them and when you get out after a few kilometers you ask them how much do you get for me and you pay like i don't know half a dollar one dollar but never more than that in whatever currency they use there i've forgotten what it is and basically any car is a taxi so uh so a car sharing has become the default mode that everybody uses so there's a lot to learn from all kinds of other cities in the world and i'm i'm, I'm sure there must be loads of other examples and um yeah at um, the end of the day you have to vote for the right party that 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 gets you there yeah our elections may 21st <laughs> but um uh, one thing you did touch on and i, I won't i won't keep you long because i know evelyn's on the call is uh, you mentioned renting you, you rented a car i um we've got we've got things like go get here that i would love to see more readily available um where basically it's it's not ride sharing but it's like car sharing um ha have you heard of that at all or is that something that's available where where you guys are vanessa or alex I don't know it here in Ottawa, but we do yeah. have it in the Netherlands, uh, where, it's, where it's called Green Wheels. So it's just uh, an organization that owns a lot of cars that are just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like these little scooters. They're just scattered all over the city. And on your app, you see where the first one is available. And you just mm -hmm. get it and drive wherever you have to go. And then you leave it there. You only pay for... Uh, for the one hour or so that you used it. How's that in the UK? For yeah, that? yeah, there are there are that option. I can't remember what they're called. And it's not Zipcar, it's something else, isn't it? Um, where you can do that. You, they just you know, leave the cars and you just... Um, and it works on an app basis as well. Um, I think that's a really good idea. I think this... And I, and I love the idea. I didn't know about that in that Kazakhstan. What a cool idea. So it's a bit like hitching a lift, but it's like... Yeah. Um, so it's, but it's more, I suppose it's changing a mindset. And just to sort of circle back on what you just said about um, cities designing for the people, it's like human-centric design, everything. Our whole built environment should be around, built around the human, should be, should be built around the, the user, workplaces, hospitals, everything should be built around us and about how we're, you know, how we use the space and the well-being of us, people, planet, really, you know. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, and um, yeah. So it's 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 very interesting to hear about uh, to hear about Sydney. I thought Canberra was also a fascinating place to see when I was in Australia, um, and I love Melbourne, but that was mainly mostly for the restaurants. Uh, but um, uh, Canberra is also fascinating because it's it's such a completely planned. Uh, city it just looks like a suburb without a center and i'd never seen a city like that it's the only city in the world where i once entered and i was looking for the city center and at a certain moment i realized that i had just 
across the whole city. I was on the other side and I had still not discovered the center. And I, nobody has ever been able to tell me where the city center of, of Canberra is, except for maybe Parliament House or, or something. So um, I, <laughs> I say a, I see a ha ha in the in the in the comments, um, but that was uh, fascinating. Talk about Australia, by the way. I was um, uh, there was a, a competition between um, uh, Sydney and Melbourne, uh, who would become the capital. And of course, like this has happened in other countries as well, uh, just like Amsterdam and Rotterdam, they denied it to each other. So you had to find something else in between. Um, there was a competition, and I think there were like five or six uh, competitors to become the capital of uh, Australia, and they were all a bit, let's say, halfway between between Sydney and and, uh, and Melbourne, and some limits were set in a certain region where um, um, cities or villages could become a candidate. And I once ended up in uh, a village that... Uh, had been the candidate to become the capital of uh, Australia, but it was the one that was not selected. And in all their ambitions, what they had done, they, there was just, it was a bit like a Wild West town, like you have just uh, two rows of houses opposite each other. There are no side streets, nothing else. But the only one exception was that this street was uh, wider than the Champs-Élysées in Paris, literally. So although there were just... 100 houses on the one side, 100 houses on the other side. To cross from the one row of houses to the other, it took you like one or two minutes to cross uh, that street. And they had been very ambitious, hoped that this would one day be the central axis of a beautiful um, city in um, in Australia. But it, it never grew out of this this little dusty village where nothing ever happens and where some sleepy dogs were sleeping in in the middle of the road. Um, so, so far about city design in Australia. Thanks, me. I see Evelyn. Um, I'll let Evelyn in. Hi, Evelyn. Hi again. Uh, you just mentioned something about capitals that I just want to touch on real quick. Um, we don't. We didn't want any um, any trouble, so we don't have a capital. Obviously, it's Fern de facto, but we don't officially have one. Right. So that's how we got around that. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, it just, you know, it's just how we roll. I don't know, but that's just completely random. But what I was calling in about was what you said, you know, that to improve or to, well, improve the offer of public transport or also to get people to um, switch to public transport. I think safety is a real issue as well. Yeah, and yeah. reliability, because I never, I never feel unsafe on public transport. Yeah, um, here, and I don't feel unsafe when I'm out riding my bike in the sort of middle of the of the night. And yeah. it's quite reliable. I know people like if if a train is two minutes late, they get annoyed and stuff. That's very Swiss. Um, but also, you know, it's like every hour your train runs at the same time. So it's easy to remember. And yeah. I know in other countries, that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, 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 the Swiss love their clocks, of course. And uh, yeah, you're right. And uh, that is uh, that is working excellently. I'm just looking at the clock and I realized that Bullsness and I have next appointments. Um, I think we could go on for hours and hours on this. Um, so... Um, 
uh, I, I think we, we should stop here, but we'll, we'll definitely come back to transport in this series. Um, just one more last, re well, a few last remarks. First of all, thank you so much for listening, staying with us for so long. Uh, some of you may have had the stamina to continue much longer. Um, thanks for all the speakers, uh, especially B, for whom it's uh, it's now past uh, 2 a.m. in Sydney, and he's still listening. I think that I admire that. So if you anybody wants to clap for B for joining so late, uh, you could do so right now. And um, I want to say next week on Monday, we, we always meet on Monday at uh, 11 uh, a.m. Eastern Time, but next Monday it is Easter Monday. So uh, what we will do is uh, we will move it to the Wednesday, same time, 11 o'clock Eastern Time, so same time that we started today in whatever time zone you are, uh, but we just move it two days to uh, the Wednesday. So um, that is, uh, I see Evelyn saying here, totally clapping for you, B, and B says it was interesting to hear from you all uh, and about your city. Thanks, B, and thanks, everyone. Okay, so that was it for today. Please uh, come back. Uh, the next one is uh, this Wednesday. Interesting one uh, about a startup that is uh, that's going to create uh, great things for clean water and electricity. So that is this Wednesday at, I will give you the time and then I really let you go. Um, that is Wednesday at, uh, it is early, I believe. Um, there we go. Wednesday at 10 o'clock Eastern time. So that means we started, we will start on Wednesday one hour earlier than we did start today. And with that, I let you go. Thanks so much uh, for joining. Thank you. Hope to see you all back soon. Last words from Ness. Thanks so much. Lovely to talk to everybody as well. So thank you. And um, carpool. <laughs> <laughs> and live up to all these lessons. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.